Hello everyone, you're listening to The Lit Pickers, a podcast on books and reading with me, Dipanjana. And usually I have Supriya Nair with me. But this week, Supriya is not with me. Instead, in the studio, I have two very special guests, two people that Supriya and I have wanted to have on the podcast forever because they are the humans behind one of our favorite bookstores, Trilogy in Bandra and Mumbai. Ahalya and Meethal Momaya, welcome to The Lit Pickers. Yay, thank you for having us. Thank you for coming. Yesterday, there was a message that came to me via Trilogy saying that the shop will be shut. And my first reaction was, what? Even though I was going to be at work at that point of time. And then I was like, um, actually, the work that I'm going to be at is this recording. We are the reason the rest of Bandra ain't going to get books today. <laughs> but there we are. No guilt whatsoever. <laughs> no, we've been looking forward for this. Thank you so much for inviting us. Absolutely, my joy. I know Supriya would have loved to be here, but she's with us in spirit as always. For those of you who are not in Bombay and not in Bandra or have not been to Trilogy before, let me just give you the briefest uh, idea of what makes this bookshop special. First of all, it's like a secret. So you will never guess that at the end of that lane could be this little gleaming bookstore. I don't think anyone anticipates it. And multiple times I have been in the bookshop when either Ahalya or Mithil are like, no, no, keep walking straight down. <laughs> you will get the fruit of your labor <laughs> walking down this lane. It's also an indie bookshop, which is something that I want you guys to tell us more about because uh, I don't know if everyone understands the distinction between a commercial chain store of bookstores and a bookshop, as you know, we sort of affectionately think of it. This is very much a bookshop. It's a selection of books that are not always conventional, but are very much the kind of thing that, you know, somebody who's curious and a bibliophile will find exciting. There's a library on top, which in fact came before the bookstore. And of course, there's the two of you, because I think for me particularly, I walk into Trilogy... <laughs> to basically book bathe. It's the equivalent of forest bathing, that Japanese concept of, you know, relaxation. When you get very stressed, you go to a natural habitat, a forest or something like that, and you forest bathe. I roam around the bookshelves of Trilogy. This is my equivalent. But also, the three of us end up having great conversations, frequently with excellent Adrak Chai, but even without the Chai, which I feel is an added author bonus that I get from time to time. I've seen you guys giving recommendations to people. The whole vibe of Trilogy is that of joy and warmth. To be able to do that, I think, is very, very difficult. And I hope that by the end of our conversation, our listeners will get some sense of how you do it. Because I think it's very, very deeply rooted in how the two of you love what you do. So to just start off, Ahalya, you were a journalist. Mithil, you're still a wildlife photographer. Both of you, well done on picking really, <laughs> really sort of standard, safe professions and then adding a third one, which is yes. equally, <laughs> equally insane is yeah. the word I'm going to go with. So to start off with, Mithil, what made you think that a bookstore, first a library and then a bookstore, was a good idea? Where do we start? Um, so Trilogy's library is nine years old in 2023, right? Uh, or we're entering our 10th year now. Yes, so it is nine years old. We complete nine years in December mm -hmm. and we start our 10th year. 
you correctly say that it was a library first, but actually it was a small bookshop and a big library. Mm. You've been to a lower parallel space. Yeah. The bookshop was just maybe two aisles. Everything else of the two thousand square feet was a library. Mm-hmm. The idea came from the fact that in twenty twelve or around that time. we were running a library consultancy service right where we were uh, recommending books and curating collections for uh, individuals and institutions mm. when doing that we realized that a lot of news offices mm. don't have space for a library in house you know the real estate and uh, other constraints and a lot of institutions at that time had a very old idea of the library mm. where it was a uh, dusty bookcase with you know yeah. leather bound volumes seldom revisited nobody by nobody goes yeah there. nobody goes to we wanted to change that very desperately at that time and uh, the only way to convince them of what a library could be was to show them one mm. that's why we started one in lower parel it was the business district after bkc mm-hmm. therefore the library was bigger mm-hmm. than the bookshop and uh, things changed in 2019 when we moved to bandra yes and uh, it was a moment of great joy for me can i just say <laughs> for us to we, we we are now much closer to our own uh, bookshop and library when we moved to bandra and we got the chance to remake and redesign the space we had the bookshop on the ground floor and moved the library to the first floor yeah and that kind of gives you a very clear separation of this part is bookshop and that mm. part and that's when the bookshop grew we are still referred to as trilogy library mm-hmm. the people who've been with us for a number of years forget that we are also a bookshop uh, <laughs> of equal weightage now but i guess that's how we started we started yeah. with the library in mind yeah yeah and the bookshop itself it's a very curated selection it means that standard paperbacks will often not be there commercial titles are almost never available at trilogy it's very much a collection that is reflective in many ways of the things that you guys care about There's a lovely phrase that I think Ahalya had used in some interview about how when you guys met, because we will lean into this. You two are a rom com brought to life. No, really, <laughs> I cannot stress this enough. In the annals of meet cute, meeting over edits has to be Aww. one of the nicer things. And then you top that with a sentence like, "We only decided to get married after our bookshelves could merge." I mean. I can almost hear the internet oing <laughs> in my ears at that point of time. All right, and also it's so sweet when Mithil is blushing. <laughs> so cute. Okay, coming back to the bookshop, would you say that this is like a expanded version of your bookshelves merging, or are there other people's points of view that you bring in as well? How do you do the collection, Ahalya? For that, we'll have to go back a bit. Yes. as far back as i can remember so my dad it, it starts from there for me mm-hmm. he was a marine insurance surveyor which meant that he would investigate claims brought out by people mm. who had goods damaged in transit and things that came by sea and for me that only meant books there were of course a million other things he would you know go to the dockyard so often and see but it was a books that i cared about so for the people who were bringing in the books for mm-hmm. them to get the entire claim mm. they would often claim that the entire consignment was damaged even if some books were fine and those ended up being either sold to footpath booksellers or yeah, whoever yeah and some of the very kind gentlemen who ran those spaces allowed my dad to pick a pick few pick up what he wanted exactly so we were the rare 
couple of kids in the suburbs in the 80s yeah. in Bombay who would have boxes of books at home. Oh my God. You know, and it was the weirdest collection. <laughs> you know, he would not pick up only Enid Blyton or books for kids. We would have pop-up books on Hollywood movies. Like we knew about Casablanca before ever watching it. The Marilyn Monroe yeah. dress flying yeah. up. That was a pop-up for me. <laughs> and, you know, George Bernard Shaw's plays. Like, I don't know what my dad was thinking, but he was <laughs> collecting all of these books for us. I remember my life changing when he brought home the complete lyrics to all the Beatles songs. Mm. I mean, imagine reading that as a 10-year-old, I Am the Walrus and <laughs> Lucy in the Sky with Diamonds with some very strange pictures alongside. That's potent stuff, you know. In more ways than one. I still haven't recovered from that. <laughs> so what happened was I was introduced to a variety of books. Right. Uh, none of my choosing, but mm. everything I loved. And I fell in love with language, fell mm. in love with the mechanics behind how does this book make me feel this way? Like, why am I giggling so much about Moonface? Mm. You know, like, how did this author do this? I also fell in love with learning more about grammar and etymology. <laughs> the perfect nerd yeah. loved it. My favorite book was a Renan Martin. Renan Martin, for kids out there, was like a Bible of grammar, right. essentially. It was the dictionary of grammar. And for all of us who grew up with a very colonial notion of English and not the liberal English that has sort of risen in profile in the last right. 20 years, you needed to have your sentences following the rules that Ren and Martin set out for you. Right. And I love those grammar exercises. I was like, are we only doing 1 to 10, miss? Can't <laughs> we do up to 50, please? And then I would even set questions for the kids in the building and they'd be like, no, can't we play Lagori right now? <laughs> so I lost a lot of friends that way. I feel that if I could go back to that 10-year-old me and say, you know, one day mm. you're going to be like walking around these books and they're all going to be yours. Yeah. I would have fainted. <laughs> so the books come from there because I just can't stop looking at books with this hunger. And I think that sort of range, there's no sort of hierarchy almost in that sense True. between genre or topic. But before yeah. you talk about the bookshop curation, Nithil, I wanted to ask you, what kind of story books did you grow up with? Or did you only see nonfiction as a child? Almost right. Almost right. But <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, coming from a Kachi Gujarati business family, though parents and grandparents and uncles were voracious readers, mm -hmm. I discovered books in my grandfather's home. He had a mango orchard. And uh, three months of the year was spent there, those mm. vacations, summer yeah, and yeah, Diwali yeah. and Christmas. My uncle's collection of books was there. Right. That's where I discovered unabridged classics, Ooh. something which uh, in school or home just had those Jaiko slim editions. Then, of course, the Asimovs and Raymond Chandler and tons of modern library and, mm. and uh, everyman's classics. So that kind of got me into serious reading. Mm. He also had this eight-volume set of short stories by various authors which I took to and which kind of then in a different format uh, was my companion when I was traveling. Ah, right. So after college, when I became a wildlife photographer, I traveled alone and uh, books were uh, the, the companion, you yeah. know. That well, was a, yeah. a constant learning, you know, for yeah. me. Back home, there was this Strand yes. Bookstall's annual book fair, yeah. which uh, got me a healthy dose of uh, books on nature, wildlife, photography yeah. and history and historical fiction. 
but also photography books were not very easily available in this country Therefore, for the longest and, yes, time, yeah. right? Like, yeah. so you kind of waited for that strand annual sale. I thought, didn't even think I could afford it. So I didn't even ask for the prices. Mm-hmm. But like, nobody ever complained about me just sitting and flipping and Correct. flipping and flipping. Right. And, but I think it was also because you could tell that I am doing this with great care. Like, yeah. it is pristine and perfect to me as it is, even if I don't like it. So, yeah, photography books were very hard to find. At that uh, they were hard time. to find. They were expensive at that time. too. They were maybe 1,000 rupees and more per yeah. book, which yeah. was crazily expensive. But there was no other source. Yeah. The local bookshops at that time didn't stock enough uh, and not nature and wildlife photography. So, you know, these were handbooks which have found their way into trilogy. Mm. So... That made a huge difference in the way I saw books mm. and, and the way I collected books. And how you stock the shop now? Yes. So the reason that we have a very serious wildlife travel and a nature writing section, section in yeah. both the bookshop and the library is because that's something we both resonate yeah. very deeply with. So that works that way. Photography and photo books, I mean, they're still difficult to come by. Mm. I mean, of course, you have your usual uh, how-tos and, and, and 50 ways and all that, but I think the readers have moved beyond that and they want a more inspiring photo book collection. So that's yeah. still not available in India. Yeah. And I think that notion of discovery is very important with these books, which is something that I think you guys do really well at Trilogy. But before we talk about that, I want to talk about the other genres that the store, as it were, really should pride itself in and justifiably great children's book section. Um, Ahalia is a nut for children's books so like if you ever have a child that you or a grown up actually that you want to gift books to and can't figure out what would be the thing to do you'd need to come to Trilogy and ask her there's a lot of really strong literary fiction you also have a very solid set of contemporary romances which I don't think people think of immediately am I missing anything Ahalia? So sci-fi and fantasy is something that's been growing a lot over the last couple of years. Uh, That's something that we've been adding to very consciously. And why is that? A lot of readers are now suddenly aware of the variety that there is. Like you don't have to stick to one author. I also think that there's been a revival of a set of new editions of Mm. classics, like the whole of Ursula Le Guin is finally making its way to our shelves. And there's been a lot of formulaic sci-fi fantasy that happened for a while. Mm. And now it seems like, you know, there are now better books coming out and people who really want that dose of sci-fi and fantasy have a lot more to look forward to than they did even previously. Mm. Maybe post-pandemic, this has really changed. Mm. But yes, I mean, I love the fact that I can find better romances right now. I mean, that's something that I personally, you know, felt was missing for the longest time, you know. That and, of course, lighter reads. I mean, authors like Rachel Joyce or Gabrielle Zevin. I mean, it's kind of brought back that kind of warm characters and, Mm. you know, like a feel good, like an uplifting. uh, What's that word again? Uplit, I think it's called. And also a lot of men looking to read such books, too, which I find. Exactly. You know, I have to add at this point that I find that some men are more adventurous in their reading Mm. than most women are. Mm. I don't know why that is. I mean, they experiment a lot more with nonfiction for sure. But they're also happy to try out a lot of fiction, Mm. you know, which is a big learning curve for me. So when a guy walks in, I don't automatically assume he's going to look at the business section, for example. And you do have a business section, which, you know, the first time I discovered it, I was like, oh, parallel world. (laughs) It's like a portal to another dimension. And 
immediately turned away. And it's lovely because in the layout, you have this lovely wall of women's fiction, women and feminist fiction right next to it, business. <laughs> it's like the twain shall not meet. But if you want to stand in the middle and see both, knock yourself out. In that business shelf, there is a business rack. There is a shelf of uh, women in business. And I try to very gradually add more books that kind of takes you to the other shelves <laughs> as well. And try to take people who are kind of interested, who want to try some nonfiction, you know, take them to that part and show them books like Dead in the Water, which is about the shipping industry. Mm. And it's very well written. Mm -hmm. Or uh, what's that? Butler to the World? about how the UK has been laundering money for the whole world. And women are interested in that. I love the fact that we can see people who weren't, you know, counting on finding anything over mm, there, mm. still picking up a couple of books and trying them out. I think it's quite uh, challenging to figure out what needs to be a core that stays as the books that you will necessarily find at a shop and what is the shifting population of books. I have been with you guys when you have been fretting about looking for a book and not finding it, mm. which seems to be a standard issue. I know how often you will take suggestions from people who are like, I was wondering if you have this book. So clearly you are doing a lot of homework to be aware of what is out there. So like, can you talk a little bit about how you do that? A major chunk of how we decide on what books to stock depends and is based on our interaction with our readers. Right. So, Ahalia and I try to talk to everybody who walks into the shop. And, of course, we have a very steady repeat clientele mm -hmm. and, a, and a loyal patron base. When we are looking at books in Excel sheets and in uh, publishers' talk list, mm -hmm. and it's all 8,000 lines of just titles and ISBN numbers, we are constantly thinking at the back of the mind, who is this book for? Right. As you've observed a number of times that books are on the shelf, but even sometimes we cannot find them. I mean, <laughs> it's, yeah. So it's, it's either one of us has moved the book to another shelf or it's sold yeah. or it's just misplaced by somebody browsing. It's fine. But there's this constant flow of books, new and old, which keep coming into the shop, which we order consciously knowing that, yes, we had this conversation with a, a certain reader yeah. last week and this was a great book for them. So let's get it because there's somebody else in the same time and space who may find this read right. really life-changing. A lot of the books stay on the shelf for longer than maybe chain bookshops or mm -hmm. other shops would permit it because uh, we really believe in the book. Mm. We really believe that the thought process and the research gone behind selecting the title means that we have to give it that much time for it to find its reader. Mm. And that's been a belief from the very start. We've seen it happen. You know, we've seen that a book has been there and then at a certain point, there'll be somebody looking for exactly that book, not by title, but by a theme or reference or sure. something in a pile of shortlisted books, you know. I guess that's where the shop looks different as yeah. when you enter. Frankly, we are not pushed by uh, publishers' marketing, hmm. you know, initiatives. So we don't stock the new bestsellers because... It's not really a bestseller for us as yet. Right. I mean, you know, it's just a new book which has come out and it has to still prove it's this thing. But uh, we do have new books. Hmm. We have new titles, yeah, but yeah. it'll be just one or two copies and we'll read it, try it out, see how it is. And then there are books which I will not name just, you know, to be discreet. If I didn't know you guys, if I could send somebody to just prank you, I would just send them in <laughs> saying that I was looking for the new Chetan Bhagat. So surprisingly, surprisingly, and very honestly, yeah. in nine years, 
the only person who has was yeah. a library member and we didn't have the book in the library also and she yeah. was quite upset but we are surprised too yeah i mean it just hasn't happened that a few authors have never been asked for and we don't stock them still mm. and the distributors are genuinely perplexed yeah i mean they can't <laughs> get there so new title so 10 copies so i'm like no i instead I the two of you have found the one author that the distributor didn't know existed and you're like can i get 10 copies all of that <laughs> all the time this seems like a good time to just insert what we had talked about earlier uh, briefly can you for our listeners give a distinction of what makes a commercial chain and what makes an indie bookshop so a commercial chain like a crossword function more like a multinational company so they have a head office they have branches mm-hmm. they have a lot more money mm-hmm. which kind of helps them get a seat at the table for larger discussions as in special deals better discounts better delivery services there is a flip side to this they tend to overorder Ah. So there's a lot of overstocking in these bookshops. So that inventory needs to clear before new things can yes. come in. It's very often that a shop will have a table of discounted books right. before Diwali, before Christmas, right. any promotion, you know. We don't feel the need to do that because books move out organically mm-hmm. and you don't need to force somebody to see a certain section. And you're not buying at the amounts that a commercial chain is buying at. Correct. For us because we are self-funded. Yeah. And the bookshop pays for itself and pays for us and everything. Yeah. We order more carefully, mm-hmm. realistic numbers. With a chain bookshop what I feel is that it's a centralized ordering system which will order for all its branches. Mm. And uh, being in two different geographies over the last 9 years, Lorapril and Bandra, I don't understand how this works because the books we sold in Lorapril were a totally different category of than course, what we sell in yeah. Bandra. What has been the difference that you can see? In Lorapril we sold a lot more non-fiction. Okay. Business non-fiction, I meant business yeah. economics and stuff, which is more office-oriented. We sold more profitable books over there actually, and uh, very little of Indian fiction, mm-hmm. very little of literary fiction, and of course we sold a ton of children's books, yeah, which we still do. So that's been a constant. In Bandra, we sell a lot more literary fiction, mm. very little of business books, mm. and profitable books are a different type, but okay, it's more or less there. It's not just the number of books being yeah. sold. but also how fast they move on the shelf you know right. books move out faster in bandra mm. with an indie like us you know there's a lot more interaction with the customer yeah there's a lot more learning that we do mm. on a daily basis as on reading trends and on where books are going where mm. readers are going with this with a chain uh, though they have software and data for what is selling yeah there isn't any mechanism to collect queries or to kind yeah. of gauge trends or to kind of interact with readers and collect that data and pass it on to HO to head mm. office mm. this is where the whole system falls apart you know here we are the system so if we are speaking and we decide <laughs> something is happening we can implement it you we, can we are more agile yeah. that way as we can yeah you stop can respond order. immediately yeah, you know? yeah the chains sometimes miss this whole perspective you yeah. know so that's why the collection looks different when you enter a chain bookshop and you enter our shop Yeah and I think it's worth keeping in mind that in an ideal world there is space and need for both. You need the big chain commercial stores which will move the major titles and whatever. But I think like the really important work that an indie bookstore does is a of course give a platform to those titles that would perhaps not be given as much love. because they require a little further attention which like you said you give because you're going through these lists carefully and also they help build a community 
I found uh, Trilogy while you guys were in Lower Perel. Of course, I was thrilled that you came to Bandra, like I mentioned earlier. But if you'd gone to Andheri, I would have gone to you to Andheri as well. <laughs> and that is love, can I just say. <laughs> but, you know, that's what I mean by loyal following. Like, you know, that is something that you cultivate. So it helps build a community. One of the things that gets overlooked completely by a commercial chain, and it's something that many bookshops I don't think are very open to commercial or India otherwise, self-published books, Right. And I understand that this is a very complicated area because the range of quality is staggering, right? But from your perspective as readers, as well as bookshop owners, how do you see self-published titles? There are two ways of looking at self-publishing. One is, is this a book which was made by someone who really knows their subject? Mm -hmm. And did they go via the self-publishing route because it wasn't commercially viable for a big name publisher? Once we see that, yes, this book perhaps is that, we look at it differently. And secondly, is this a book that is a vanity publishing project, mm. which is, say, something that someone just felt like they needed to put out there? And is this relevant to the readers we know, is this relevant mm. to our place? Is this something that makes sense for us to have? Then we look at that differently. So coming back to the first type of books, for example, we have books like uh, Bombay Imagined, mm -hmm. brought out by a brilliant architect. It's a heavy book. It's a yeah. beautiful book. The layout is just stunning. And it features pictures from archives and maps. And, you know, it's about how Bombay would have been if mm. certain projects had gone ahead. It's a tome. And everyone who's seen it, you know, is just taken aback by the thought that's gone into the book and how wonderfully informative and visually appealing it is. Hmm. So I can see how that worked. The author thought about all that they wanted to do with the book and it's a perfect book. Hmm. So yes, that's a self-published book that we're happy to have on our shelves and we're just happy to hand sell and introduce that book to readers. Yeah. When it comes to, say, fiction or other genres... Unfortunately, like you said, book design is something that we're not Oof. yet. And Oh, the deep breath right? of disappointment that came out of Mithil right now. <laughs> and more than that, editing. I don't think we've reached that stage where we have a pool of editors, nor is there enough understanding about the process of editing mm. or the process of bringing a book, you know, to life. And sometimes I think it's too hastily done. Mm. And before you even reach the content, you know, this is something that you just know when you look at it, that this is not something a reader would pick up. And that's kind of where it loses steam. You realize it needed more work at the editing table. It isn't ready to be out yet and it needs to build its base elsewhere. And also that tactile quality, right? We've talked about this many times, just as a well-produced book can just charm you into buying it, irrespective of what's in there, just because the page quality is lovely or the cover is brilliant or, you know, the way the white space is used in each of the pages is fantastic. But by the same token, when none of those things are right, even though everything else at a subject level might appeal to you, you just don't want to pick it up. This is something that I think about a lot as a reader because as a writer, self-publishing is something that appeals to me tremendously. I would love to be able to develop an immediate relationship with both my reader as well as a local community of booksellers. For example, like if I was able to go to the three bookstores that I do go to and say like, guys, here's my book and you put it up there and a reader finds it. That sounds weirdly ideal for me 
as someone who does not dream of world domination, it's perfect for me. But as a person who reads books, most of the self-published books just leave me so disappointed at a physical level. Which brings me to something else. How do the two of you see ebooks? Do you see it as a threat? Is it something that bothers you? You're nodding in the negative direction. Absolutely not bothering. Okay. So since you've been to our place, you know, there's this little placard that we have up there. It's a quote by Stephen Fry mm. that says, books are no more threatened by the Kindle than stairs are by elevators. <laughs> and I think both exist. You know, someone said, A, I think it was Socrates who said, don't write books. I mean, you know, let it all just stay oral. And then when books were coming out... Which is so interesting, right? Because Socrates, considering the time that he was around, uh, books would have been the new technology at that point of time, right? Oral literature is the tradition. And then these upstart technology comes out. Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. So I think a lot of readers today are hybrid readers. Yeah. And it's great. I mean, at least the reading goes on. The Mm. way we see it is at least they're investing themselves in this act. It's a solo experience. Ebooks are not much cheaper than the actual physical book. Hardly anymore. Right? Yeah. Producing a book, the physicality of printing has its cost. But at the same time, for me, the major cost should actually be the intellectual property of it rather right. than the physical property right. Right. of it. So in that sense, it makes sense to me that the ebook version will cost pretty much the same as the physical right. book. And today the audiobooks. There's always going to be room for even children who are reading on the Kindle or the iPad, some adults who are reading on their phone. I mean, when they actually see a physical book, it doesn't seem weird at all. You know, I mean, they gravitate to this as well. You know, I think it coexists very beautifully and it works, you know, because they see this as a gift that they can give someone or, you know, like they have the ebook version, but they also want it in hardback or paperback because. Yeah. Just, you know, so it works. It works. Yeah, it makes sense. I think going back really quickly to what you were saying about forest bathing, Mm -hmm. you know, it's just great that you said that because that's something that I think about all the time, about how bookshops and libraries are like good gardens. Mm. When you go to a really good garden, okay, and you're standing in front of it and you see there's this beautiful green space, there's these flowers and there's these birds and oh my god, is that a cuckoo? Is that What is that bird that I'm seeing and I really must water my plants back home <laughs> and I should come here more often and you know, should I you know have these plants back in my balcony as well? The noise of the outside world gets cut off when you're standing there. You can hear yourself again mm. and you have this quick conversation with yourself like, would I like something from here? Would I like to do something over here right now? You know? Yeah. So I feel like when you enter a bookshop, it isn't just that you're there. That isn't enough. What you really need to do is browse. Mm. Neil Gaiman once gives a beautiful speech and he said, you know, readers have the obligation to daydream. They have the obligation to imagine. So I think you have to let yourself lose in a bookshop, browse as many shelves as you can, pick up books, read the blurb, put them back, but go almost every single place and not come there with a preconceived notion or a list of three books and leave without looking for what serendipity could help you find. And the books that you find today may be different from what you'd find tomorrow. So tell me something. It's been a decade of doing this. We who walk into the space and start demanding things. Have we changed how you see the books and what books you turn to? So I guess yes and no. Okay. We do look at books differently. 
Mm. We do look at books as multiple readers. I mean, not all books appeal to me equally. So it's yeah. not that I would read every book on my shelf. Having said that, all books do go through us. We mm. flip through them. We know the language. We know who it's for. We sort of know what's inside, what you should take today, maybe not take today. That much information is in the ram of our heads, you know. As a solo reader, I may not complete every book on my shelf because sure. I don't need to. I guess from being just a reader yeah. personally to being a bookstore owner or a bookseller, that shift is quite dramatic where you have to look at a vast collection of books mm. and uh, genres that you would not explore regularly and be open-minded enough to know okay, this is for somebody and this is good enough for that person. You know, So also selecting books in genres which we don't read actively. So what is the last book that you can remember that you picked up just for yourself? For the pleasure of reading it. Uh, Jeff Dyer, Seesaw. It's a collection of his writings, uh, which uh, may or may not have been published before. And it's him finding old photos and photographers who are not famous and, and how he kind of approaches their art. Mm -hmm. It's mind-blowing. The kind of time and space he had given that activity, which even he didn't realize yeah. when he was doing it. And that book is really superb for somebody who wants to be inspired. It's just a couple of pages per chapter, read, stop, get back to when you want. Yeah, and such a lovely ode to finding inspiration in almost the ordinary and the extraordinary in the ordinary. He's also a very good writer. Yeah. I hate him. <laughs> um, <laughs> why do you have to be so bright? But Ahalya, what was the last book that you picked up for pleasure? I really can't remember, honestly. Ouch. Okay. Wow. That, yeah. <laughs> I think there's been so many books that have been coming in yeah. in the last couple of months. I think I've been reading all of them or trying to read as many of them as I can, especially the children's books. Mm -hmm. Oh, yes, of course, I read The District Cup, which is a children's book. It's by Malika Ravi Kumar and I really enjoyed it. It's like a Ted Lasso for kids. So it's <laughs> okay. it's a fun read. But this is seeming like a little bit work, a little it bit was, pleasure. Yes, yeah, you're Mostly right. Mostly work. No, I have been looking at books a little longingly that I want to take a break and read. Is there one that comes to mind? She really is a workaholic. Oh, <laughs> gosh. Right. <laughs> Okay. Okay. Note hmm. to Ahalya. Yeah. Right. Read Take a, a break book. and read. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> but as a break. Not I know. For work. Oh God. What? When did this happen? So this happens on Sunday evenings when we're okay. shutting shop and Monday is our day off. Mm -hmm. And after the lights are almost off, she'll be wait, 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 wait. I have to find the book for tomorrow. <laughs> and she'll spend fifteen minutes finding five, six books, shoving them in the bag. Come, let's go. I'm not shoving them in the bag. Yeah, almost. We're pushing you out by then. But, yeah. <laughs> yeah, <very neatly. laughs> but yeah. Do you have plans with Trilogy? Is it fine as it is? Do you look ahead and think one day there will be a Trilogy in every city of the country? Or is that sort of world domination not important to you? So world domination was a phrase we used a lot in the last 10 years. Yeah, world domination is no longer the... The immediate goal. Immediate goal. <laughs> Secondary okay, goal. Go yeah. <laughs> so we realized a couple of years back that having a bookshop in another city was not perhaps the best way for us to expand. The way you guys have this store in Bandra, I cannot imagine you being able to do this distantly. In, For example, I have friends in Pune who would love to be part of your clientele. But I can't see you being able to do that in Correct. the same way. Absolutely. Correct. Yeah. We, Absolutely. we totally understand that. 
and in the last four or five years there have been many patrons who've moved cities who've gone to kamar more beautiful places and they've come back to us uh, on their annual bombay trip yeah uh, to meet family friends whatever and uh, missed us and kind of come to us and like, why don't you come there and mm. set up shop there and we're like yes yes we will yes we will and we thought about it basically see the same night when we go home it's just not possible like you said to recreate this where we are present where things are happening as smoothly as they are and yeah. where we have the feedback that we require to be more efficient to mm. be more effective that doesn't happen uh, if we have more branches it would just fall apart is it a financially sound idea i'm just wondering i mean because i never think of finances as is obvious from my personal career choices so again to be very frank about it bombay is the most expensive city sure. i guess parts of delhi would be equally expensive if rent was not the issue if you could manage rent yeah. in whichever city you went to mm-hmm. absolutely financially viable oh 100%. that's interesting again that is not something we would think about when putting up a branch it's can we be there hmm. can i just say though a note on community i think yes. that is the most important part of being an indie bookshop mm-hmm. for example you get a message from someone saying hey do we have this book and you know the use of the pronoun we i just get overwhelmed i mean you know they'll say do we have this on our shelves this sense of ownership that readers have of trilogy it's not what we expected starting out right. the fact that you know so many people who are single you know living in the city and then when their families come to visit they'll get their mom and dad along and say this is where i come this includes me my mother yes. and father yeah. are regular every time they come to bombay they're like when are we doing our trilogy visit you are a fixture in right. their itinerary and that is just something that is so to be a good indie bookshop you have to be part of the community you yeah. can't do this remote control thing you know the learning that you get from being there from being present every day from listening to people honestly telling them what you should not be buying like okay <laughs> i know you're taking these 10 books but you really should not be trying this right now and equally insisting that you take a particular book i know you think that this is not for you but i think you know and using that trump card saying please just trust me on this and i think that is what our last 9 years have taught us you really need to listen you really need to be able to take that feedback and dial things down or really you know boost some things, things up. up and you really need to give it all that you can it's not i think about like this vertical growth but more like a deeper growth that i'm seeing you know mm. about being more part of the community I mean you know people send us postcards from their holidays and it's <laughs> so sweet and you know the other day this lady would want to Kerala and came back with banana chips for us how I mean that's <laughs> so much love at the end of the day you look at yourself and you know, what am i doing we have a bookshop we have a library but look at this love i have no words to express how overwhelming it is sometimes you know when we sent out the message last night saying the bookshop won't be open 1 to 3:30 I got messages immediately saying is everything okay. <laughs> you know that's so wonderful that they checked with us we're not just a business for them yeah. and to be honest we don't see selling a book as a transaction. Mm. We're not geared that way. You know for us it is are they getting a good reading experience have we done all that we can in the bookshop it reflects as much of our personalities as it can you know from the color of the walls to Mitchell's pictures. So I feel like as if 
people know that we are giving them all that we can mm-hmm. and i feel that that is the growth that i see like you know going forward for however long this is what i think we would love doing you know you said i don't know what we're doing well i think what you are doing is you're tending to a secret garden of books secret garden there you go of this city and just like in the novel of the secret garden you don't quite know what you're walking into and it's an enchanted yes. space yeah. trilogy definitely does that for all of us who are uh, who've discovered it and may more people find their way to you yeah. thank you so thank much you. for making the time to do this this was great fun I made Mithil blush. I gave uh, Ahalya a, a small therapy moment. Um, I would count this as victories all around. Everyone, you've been listening to the Lit Pickers. We will be back next week with Supriya in tow. And in general, we've got two seasons worth of conversations, a few with guests, but also conversations where Supriya and I yammer about all sorts of things. So do look it up, and we will see you soon. The Lit Pickers is a Made in India production. Don't forget to rate and review and follow or subscribe wherever you listen to your podcasts. Also, tell everyone you know about the show. Share it on social media, tell your friends and family, scream about it on your rooftop. It really helps get the word out. Oh, and use the hashtag #LitPickers. Follow Supranta Panjana on Twitter or Instagram. You can also find all of the books they've mentioned or recommended in an online resource via a link in our episode description. Thanks. Keep listening.